Do we really have free will? We're going to dive into the science and the theology of that interesting question. This is Dive Deep. From the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois, this is Dive Deep, where we dive deep into our Catholic faith with Father Chris House and Amber Cervini. I'm Andrew Hansen. Father Friedel is here from Our Lady of Lords in Decatur. And also St. Thomas. I, I always forget that. You do. That's the same <laughs> My Tom- people at St. Thomas <laughs> don't. <laughs> people at St. Thomas are going to be like, that Andrew, what a jerk. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right, so uh, an interesting question. Do we really have free will? This has been kind of a, a debate amongst theologians and atheists and you know all sorts of people because it's it's very fascinating first i want to get into the science of of this question and, and bear with me because i've been doing this research it i found this very fascinating and so in 1964 he had some german scientists and they were monitoring electrical activity of people's brains so the volunteers they had one task to do and they just flicked their finger whenever they wanted to and the scientists found that In the milliseconds leading up to those fingertips, there was a faint uptick in brain activity. And so they basically, you know, concluded that you have free will, that, you know, you want to do something, your brain says a signal and boom, you you make a decision. But then what happened just uh, 20 years later kind of threw all that on its head and what really kicked up the debate on the science side of do we have free will? Because an American scientist, he reworked that experiment and he made the case that not only does the brain show signs of a decision before a person act, but that incredibly, the brain's wheels start turning before the person even consciously intends to do something. So in his study, he found that before you even make a decision, the brain is actually working its wheels. And then when you make that fire, the brain is already prepared. And his conclusion is, in essence, you don't have free will. And that picked up a lot of steam in the science world uh, that they saw the conclusion right there. Fast forward then two more decades, and then two different scientists study that question. They concluded differently from that guy, in essence, that people's subjective experience of a decision did in fact match with that actual moment of your brain sending off that signal. Uh, Also, some research I found, quantum physics, it says that the behavior of particles are, they're unpredictable, so there's some philosophers say that your free will kind of makes use of this this randomness, which allows you and me to make those uh, undetermined decisions. This debate continues on in the science world. Uh, I, I found that all just very fascinating, how it kind of went, yeah, if one study says free will, next study says nope, then another study says yep, and then you know, physics also plays a role in that. And I know the debate continues, as, as, we, as, as I said, amongst the science world. Father Friedel, you have a background in chemical engineering. Chemical I know this is not an apples to apples, but you have a scientific <laughs> brain. And before we get into the theology of it, I just want to kind of get your reaction to the science side of free will. And when you hear that story, like what comes to your mind? Well, one, I used to have a science brain, uh, but, <laughs> but I think, you know, the reality is, and I think this is borne out by most of our experience, is that people try to explain scientifically Uh, things that are not necessarily reducible to science, right? So uh, there's an entire wave sort of uh, post-modernity of positivism, right? Like I have to explain by science. And if if I can't prove it by science, then it doesn't exist or I can ignore it, right? That falls so short as a philosophy because all you have to do is think of your own experience, right? The reality is I wake up in the morning and, well, I don't, choose much I wear black every day but um, you know I can choose whether to wear this shirt or that shirt 
is that a scientific process firing in my brain? Sure, my brain has things to do with it. There's science involved in it. But can it be purely explained by science? I think most of us would find, if we search our experience, that there's something severely lacking, and science can explain absolutely every phenomenon. What's interesting, though, about when you said that is how you know, there's, there's always this, I think, kind of... People sometimes think Catholicism and science don't jive with each other, which is actually not true at all. And as I laid out in those studies of you had one scientist say free will, next said no free will, then the next science said no, that scientist is wrong, you do have free will because we can see that your brain fires right when you make that decision. There's no pre-planning. So I almost look at what you said, like science backs up free will. Um, now, from a theological point of view, uh, Father House and Father Friedel, this is something the Catholic Church teaches. God gave us, gave us free will. Uh, but I always hear the argument um, is if God knows everything about you and what you're going to do and who you're going to be born to and you're put in certain situations, do we really have free will? And so I pose that question to you because God, God knows where he, he's putting you. Again, he's putting you in this certain spot. He knows what you're already going to do. Because I've heard this question posed to me by my non-Catholic friends. And it's, a, it's, it's actually a very thick and kind of hard question to answer. Well, but does, does omniscience equal manipulation? That's what you're saying. Yeah. That's, that's what you're drawing then to your conclusion. That omnipotence, I'm sorry, omniscience, the all-knowing aspect of God means that God is then manipulating you. But that, to me, doesn't make sense. Just because you know something doesn't mean you're making it happen. I mean, we can do this somewhat with people. I mean, in certain situations, we can make, we don't have omniscience, but we can make educated guesses. We can make an, a hypothesis that something's going to happen, especially with children. If, you, if they're in, with this, this, and this, then this is going to happen. I mean, generally with people, if you tell them not to do something, that's, you can, oh, somebody may, may argue that's manipulation, I don't know. But, I mean, they, they're not, yeah, one does not mean the other. Just because God is all-knowing, because God is outside of space and time. Space and time are creatures that are made by God. Let, let me bring up an example just to, and maybe you can further your point, and if we bring up an example, maybe it can help clarify what you're saying. So Mary, obviously Mary said yes to be the mother of God. And we always say, well, Mary had free will. He, she could have said no. But when you think, some people may argue, but really, God, God knew that. Mary was the only, only one born, of course, besides Jesus, without original sin. The deck was stacked. God knew Jesus was going to be born to Mary. Like, like, it, it, that's where I can, I, can, I can sometimes see the other side saying, just something doesn't necessarily 100% add up on the free will side of things. So kind of taking that example and what you were just saying, Expound on it. Here's the problem with those examples, from my standpoint, is that we think of God as seeing the future, okay? But he knows the future. Well, but God doesn't have a future, and God doesn't have a past. Those are realities of time, and God is beyond that. Time is a creature. So what God, in God's essence, God is in the eternal now, the eternal present. All things are present to God. All of human history is present to God simultaneously. Um, so, I mean, when we talk about, well, God, God could see this. Well, it's, I mean, we're reducing God to the emperor from Star Wars. Now, I have foreseen this. Well, no, that's not I never, God. I never saw Star Wars. Yeah, yeah the well, image that's that, a whole other problem we'll talk about <laughs> later. But anyway, but. The image that I like to use is, is sort of, we think of, 
of history on a timeline, right? So if we think of the line sort of extending from my present moment backwards and all the way to the future, um, we can only see what's happened priorly, right? Or we can guess about the future. But God is not in that timeline. He's not in it at all. So he is a point sort of outside of the timeline. He can see from the very beginning to the very end, if you will, if we want to talk about God seeing, right? Um, So that's what is meant by sort of the omniscience of God. He can see the whole timeline. He does not have to guess whether you're going, whether Father House is going to have a Diet Dr. Pepper this afternoon. He already knows. I have a a strong hunch that the answer to that is yes also, but um, right? God can see all of these things. That does not mean he's forcing you to do them, right? So he knows that, you know, he knows the decisions you're going to make, the, the ways, you know, you're going to disappoint him in the future. He doesn't force you to make that decision. He just knows about it because he can see all time. Let me ask another uh, question about free will. So I'll bring up, I'll bring up Judas. Judas made the free will choice to, to hand, hand Jesus over uh, to be killed. In essence, is what Judas did a good thing? Oh, I think I think of Pontius Pilate. He made the free will decision to you know send Jesus to death. And and in essence, if Judas didn't do that, if Pontius Pilate didn't do that, would Jesus have died? And so in essence, to their free will choice was it actually a good choice? What the Gospels make very clear is that Judas chose this, and it was bad, right? So we cannot justify in. You know, yeah, it caused some really great things. So it's like, you know, actually, Judas is a saint. Let me play devil's advocate, though, is, is the point of that question is, okay, it was a bad thing, but had Judas not done it, Jesus wouldn't perhaps have died on the cross and we wouldn't have a chance at salvation, okay, which, well, is, uh, which is a bad thing now for all of the us. The problem is, though, you're trying to, you're, you're doing what we cannot do in moral theology. You're trying, you're taking something that is objectively evil, the betrayal of an innocent person, and trying to, to bring good out of it. No, that, is, that betrayal is intrinsically evil. So therefore, you can't say, well, the ends, or the ends justify the means. No. Of course, you're cutting to probably... I mean, yes, an example that people will use. It's probably the worst example for us to try to to cut through because I mean, we're dealing with so many realities in this example. You know, Pontius Pilate was weak. He was weak. He's a tragic figure. Um, Same with Judas. Yeah, and that. And now, can we say though that you know God in His omniscience knew that Pontius Pilate would be a weak individual, and so would Judas, and so. In God's time, all these things, you know, the right pieces were put into place so that something would transpire. Some would argue that. Is that manipulation? I'd say no. Is that God pulling the strings? I'd say no. Yeah, the fact that God can, sorry to cut you off, but the the fact that God can bring good things out of our evil decisions does not mean I can do whatever evil I want and, and, and be justified. We do believe in a God who can bring the best out of the absolute worst, but that doesn't give me permission to just <laughs> to, to choose evil. Um, so it says in the gospel, I know the plans I have for you. So God had a plan for Judas, and he went off plan? I mean, uh, t- yeah. <laughs> I think we could argue. I mean, and that's the whole thing. I mean, it, see, that, that, that's, a, that's a very good question. It is. It's, it's a very good question. 
I mean, and but that's the whole thing. Did God, what was God's plan for Judas? Did God plan for Judas to betray Jesus? Well, or the father, did he know? I mean, that's... Okay, so, so that's an extreme a, one, but you could take that example to to anyone then. So, so yeah, so, so let, me, let me kind of play off of this um, and, and to Amber's point. So let's not use Judas. Let's use a, a, tragic, a tragic figure who was maybe a, a mass murderer. Well, that person was born... He's probably more than a tragic figure if he's a mass murderer, I'd say. So. <laughs> yeah, true. That person was born into a specific family at a specific time to maybe bad parents, bad upbringing, bad X, Y, and Z, and that's what caused him to make that horrible decision of, of whatever he, he did. Correct. So it's kind of the same thing. Well, if God has the plans for you, God specifically put this person in this place and time knowing that he was going to do that really bad thing. Again, <laughs> but, again, no, no, but, but by your example, that God was intended, so God needed a mass murderer at some point to come along. That's, that's where that lot, that's the problem where there are so many, I would argue philosophical fallacies in these arguments that we naturally fall into because by that definition, it's like, well, so, so God was willing this to happen, or God wanted this to happen, or it's like, no, God, it's just the problem with the disorder that sin has caused. God didn't plan for any of this. Um, theologically, it's a debated article. The no, I mean, I was always in the mindset of the school that, you know, the idea is redemption was not in the original plan. God planned for us to be in perfect relationship with him. Therefore, then we had to have a savior, and so thus the incarnation, all these are the realities. Now, some theologians will talk about, well, the incarnation would have happened no matter what or various things. So, I and mean, that's for another conversation at the time. But it's, um, at well, the end of the day, here's the problem. Uh, we don't have the, we, we have a problem here. We have a reality that we just, we can't get our minds around. And ultimately we don't have the language. We don't have the facility to truly have the effective conversation. I mean, at, at, at the end of the day, because some of this just is beyond, and we don't like that. As human beings, we don't like being told that our minds, for as great and big as we think they are, but they're nothing compared to the divine mind, that at the end of the day, we cannot get around some of these questions. I think that's what you just said, you know, is, is important. Yeah, I mean, I bring up all these questions because, you know, this is what I've heard. You read on the internet of, well, why that this? Well, what about that? So, you know, hearing your, your, the priestly response helps arm myself and, and our listeners on, on how, do we, how do we at least attempt to answer these questions when we're having these conversations around the dinner table with our family or, or with friends. And ultimately, it's, like, it's that key, I almost call it a key Catholic word, mystery. You know, the Trinity is a mystery. The incarnation is a mystery. You know, in the end, Sometimes we just have to be satisfied with we don't know as much as we want to know. But I think possibly, too, though, maybe the bigger question is, it's not that do we have free will. Yes, we do. Why did God give it to us? Uh, with, isn't that so we can make the decision to love him? Because if, if, but, if, and, but that's the thing, because love without freedom isn't love. Isn't love, yes. Yeah. Very fascinating. Now, Amber, I know, you've, you, know you have a kind of another question about free will that we, we see kind of here in the news sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I had read an article that... Um, Basically, the, the use of free will was to justify um, a woman's ability to choose. If God gave us free will, then she has a choice to do what she wills with her body, um, which I thought just was kind of an interesting take on free will. Um, yeah, that's, there's, there's a reality. So when we talk about freedom in the church, I think there's a, we have a, a fundamentally different understanding of freedom than our current culture and society does. When we talk about freedom in the church, we talk about the freedom, the, uh, the ability, the uninhibited ability to choose what is good, 
That is what true freedom is. That's what, when God in the Old Testament manifests himself as the God of life and liberty, that is what he's manifesting, is that he is the, the sole one who allows man to choose what is good and right uh, with, with a completely uninhibited conscience. Uh, when we talk about freedoms that are afforded to us in government, we talk about, oh, I can do this, I can do that, I can do whatever. But those aren't all freedoms. At the end of the day, if, if the free choice to do this or that leads us back into a slavish captivity, that's not true freedom in the church. That's not what we're talking about. And so, yes, free will does allow us to choose things um, freely, right, one way or the other. But that does not mean that it leads us to true authentic freedom. Interesting. I swear, Father House, I swear you've even talked about the Ten Commandments. You th- again, you think commandments, what Father Friedel said is rules. You've got to do this, 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 and this, and this is God being rigid. When in actuality, if you follow them, it, it leads to ultimate freedom in heaven. <laughs> There's nothing that God asks, anything that God asks us to do or anything that God asks us not to do, none of that will diminish us. All those things are meant to lift us up. So if God says, do this, it's because it will lift you up. If God says, don't do this, it's because avoiding those things will lift you up. The things that God says avoid will ultimately only tear you down, even though you may not think it in the moment. But it will, like Father Friedel said, it brings you back around to this notion of this slavish captivity. The problem, that's the whole thing. The world's freedom is subjective. Freedom in Christ is a purely objective reality because it looks to the greater good. My good, the glory of God, and the good of those around me. I think that's a perfect way to end it. Interesting conversation, guys. Pray to the Holy Spirit for wisdom. We hope you make those good choices with your free will. Speaking of a good choice, doubt.org slash podcast. That's where you can find more of them. This has been Dive Deep. Until next time, we'll see you right here on Dive Deep.